Welcome to the Open Metaverse podcast. I'm your host Mehdi Farooq, senior tokenomics analyst at Enemoka Brands. Uh today we have a very special guest with us. Uh on the other side of the mic we have Andrew Steinwald, uh who is a partner at Sephermion and produces amazing NFT and metaverse based content. As we speak, my co-host uh, Mo has also joined me. So hello Mo. Hey Mo. Hey Mehdi. Hey Andrew, lovely to meet you. To to kick things off Andrew, uh why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your crypto origin story and how was the idea of Sephermion born? Oh man. Okay, so got involved in Bitcoin in 2013 after I learned I I read about the Silk Road, so got involved with Bitcoin at that point. I thought it was really interesting you could I thought it was interesting you could buy drugs online, but it was more interesting that people are utilizing a, a digital currency to do so. So got interested then uh jumped right in. I didn't even know like what blockchain was. Started purchasing Bitcoin. Uh I ended up, you know, and then <laughs> there was like a two week period where I was like I'm a genius. I'm I'm so smart because it it went up to $1000. I I was buying it around 200 250. And then it you know, the price popped, crashed, went right back down to 200 and I sold everything because I was like that's that was a scam. And then after I sold, that's when I decided you, you know what like everyone on these forums which is where I was getting all my information everyone on these forums is so incredibly passionate about this stuff like blockchain um because they were saying bitcoin's dead but blockchain will survive and i was like okay what what is blockchain so i i i dug deeper and you know i i kind of understood oh wow okay blockchain is not just digital money it can be used for so many different types of applications it's going to radically transform the internet and society and i got super excited i was like wow this this is somewhere where i want to spend a lot of my time and uh attended some blockchain startups two different blockchain startups 2014 2016 one in remittance one in uh, accounting uh, both those failed launched a um a long short hedge fund with my business partner Dan Patterson that was in uh uh was July 2017 that was our crypto fund and we did okay there but uh comparative to our peers that were had early stage venture deal flow um they were vastly outperforming us so we're like okay wow like we need to really have access to this early stage venture deal flow as well in order to be competitive at, on any level. And so, but we're also looking at okay, crypto is such a broad category. You know, back then, back in 2013 it was just Bitcoin and then kind of moving forward it became Bitcoin Ethereum and you know, all these other different types of tokens, Zcash, Monero, etc. and the the world, the crypto world was expanding at such a rapid pace where like okay, well, we need to find a subsector and become the go-to experts in that subsector. We looked at DeFi, realized it's not really our skill set, it's more of a quantitative technical skill set, and then dove deeper into NFTs, really due to my wife. So she started making crypto themed paintings in 2017, and then I posted it on Reddit. She like went mega viral and uh and so you know, she became really involved in the crypto art scene. Back then it was it was called crypto art, which is actually physical artwork related to crypto. It wasn't there's nothing to do with NFTs, but she also found NFTs really early, like when when Crypto Kitties came out back in I mean we you used it in I think it was November or December of 2017. She was obsessed with it. She was like so into it. And I was like I don't really get it. I don't really see the bigger picture just like cats in the blockchain like cool. Um because I wasn't thinking like which is funny, you know, I I like deep in the space and she she knew way more about it than, than myself. It wasn't until uh 2019 after she's been like telling me for a year like you got to check it out. It's not just art, it's going to be so much more that I went to NFT NYC. This was uh I want to say I actually forget the day of February of 2019. Yeah, February 2019. And um and I met, you know, I was talking to everyone there trying to figure out what's the, what's this buzz about NFTs. Like I get the concept, but like why are these things important? I met one individual, 
named Jin, who kind of transformed the, the trajectory of, of my life, essentially. Um, he, this guy is deep in the metaverse. He's deep into VR, AR, like knows everything, right? He's kind of like my, uh, I don't know, my like religious figure, like who knows about like the, my metaverse God or whatever. And, and he taught me all about, you know, what the metaverse is, what's going to happen, like where are we headed in terms of society and culture and everything. And um, the missing piece of the puzzle was really, uh, you can't have a virtual environment that people are living, working and playing in, which is like the metaverse, if you don't own any, any of your stuff. And NFTs represented the, the ownership layer for all the regular goods, not talking about the, the money, which is more crypto's angle, like crypto is the money of the metaverse. Well, NFTs represent all the things, all, all the goods. And I was like, wow, nice. We finally have like the metaverse economy because for so long we had this financial system, which is crypto, but without a goods economy. It was like, okay, well, you're trading and you're doing this stuff, but like what for? And now it's like, okay, you can actually buy things uh, utilizing your crypto. And it happens to be art, collectibles, uh, gaming items, et cetera. And so for me, I was like, wow, it's going to start with these fall, you know, these small fun markets of art, collectibles, gaming, et cetera. But it'll expand into everything. You know, all all forms of value will be represented on chain as NFTs. And when that clicked to me, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what we were looking for. This is the niche that we need to target. And uh, dove really deep, of course, from that point on, launched Sofermi on September 2019 as a firm focused on the metaverse, but with a heavy emphasis on the ownership layer, which is kind of blockchain NFTs. So yeah, that was uh, that's kind of my journey. And now we operate a few funds. I have a stellar team and we are, uh, we, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of trucking along here. Yeah, you're deep in the weeds of NFTs. Uh, I can attest to that. Um, so so in 2022, what were some of the NFT themes that that also took you by surprise or your fund by surprise? And and how are you also seeing the next year, the, the year ahead in terms of different emerging NFT themes? Yeah, I would say the, I'd say the, the lack of narrative changes in 2022 was the surprise because from 2019 onwards, I, I'd say up until 2022, the NFT market was driven by uh, narrative and the narratives would switch often. So every quarter or something, there'd be a new narrative. Like you go through a virtual land narrative and everyone would be talking about the metaverse. Now virtual land is kind of this new asset class. that's going to be huge. So that would increase a lot in value or have much more, there'd be a lot more market activity there. Then it would transfer over to arts and you know, oh, digital art is the future. And it's going to be bigger than regular art, whatever. And that was the narrative. So there'd be a lot of activity there. And there's these constant kind of cycles that were ebbing and flowing. And then 2022, uh, and then also the, the PFP narrative, like, you know, pro profile picture projects, th that's something that I didn't really, uh, I, I did not think that that was going to be a thing. I remember when hash masks came out, I was like, wow, this is kind of like a clone of, of, um, of punks. And my wife, she was already, she was in the process of working on her own project that was similar. And it was like kind of crypto punk like when hash masks came out, she was like, oh man, like someone already did it, which is, it's funny to think about because there's like a million now. Um, and really what these things are like media entertainment kind of brands, I guess that was something I did not have on my, like my, my bingo card for things getting popular. Um, but yeah, so for, for multiple reasons they are, and you know, that was a big narrative. I'd say the dominant narrative in 2022 or sorry, 2021. And then going into 2022, it kind of kept that narrative strong, you know, that, that kind of uh, brand media entertainment, IP, et cetera. And I, I expected there to be more. Um, more shifting narratives. So there's going to be an art narrative, a virtual land narrative, because I've seen multiple of these cycles in the past in terms of like, what is the hot, hot market? So I'd say the lack of uh, 
shifting narratives was the surprise for us in 2022 or surprise for myself in 2022 and um and more of an emphasis on trading versus kind of buy and hold uh you know sitting on things long term there's just a lot more traders in 2022 because obviously the market's depressed and so people are trying to eke out you know 0.1 eth gains versus before it was like you know you wouldn't sell unless it was up you know 20x or something like that so do you think the royalty fees on the nft marketplaces across different vertical uh, was that something that that took you guys by surprise or were you anticipating that this could potentially converge to zero or, or there would be some marketplaces that will remove uh, or make paying royalty optional? Like, was that part of your thesis or was that something that also surprised you? We thought that they would eventually trend to zero, just like most fees in general like, tend to get cheaper over time. Um, but we didn't anticipate OpenSea's move, which, you know, on one hand is incredibly intelligent from a business standpoint. From the you know the crypto ethos, it's a little bit different, but I think we've, especially the NFT space specifically, we've gone past the the crypto ethos, the decentralization ethos kind of mentality, where it was a small community. I remember back in the day, if if um, someone did an OTC trade with like a piece of art or something like that, and didn't pay the artist royalties uh, like manually, you know, go find the, the artist wallet and like send them the royalties and message them, hey, I just bought this piece, I you know sent you royalties, like people would get mad at the, at that person and the, the social pressure from that trade would cause that person to go make, go make that royalty transfer. Now that's like, that's like not, that's not gonna happen. Like it doesn't scale, um, you know, as you just get larger and more mainstream that that kind of type of behavior doesn't scale. And so, yeah, it was our opinion. It was gonna kind of trend towards zero. OpenSea's move of kind of, you know, enforcing everything on their own uh, system, you can call it. That was, you know, pretty genius from a, again, business standpoint, crypto standpoint, a little bit different from the ethos, but. Uh, regardless, you know, I think that we're at that point now where, hey, it's kind of gloves are off. It's going to we're going to act like it's a, a regular market, not this kind of uh, Web3 uh, fairy tale that, that it was before. So you're ahead. What, what do you think uh, in terms of different trends uh, you, you, you're forecasting for NFT, NFTs or NFT marketplaces? Oh, that's a really good question. OK, so I don't you know, I, the answer is I don't know. Uh, there, there's so many things that catch me by surprise in this market, as you guys probably know as well. I mean, wh one of them just being like FTX. I know you guys probably talked about about this a lot, but I mean, we, it was not, I had no idea that FTX was like a nefarious actor in our space. Like I, I thought that they were great. I even tweeted multiple times at how, how incredible their exchange is, how great their customer service is, just like from an operational standpoint, like they were stellar. Uh, but, you know, so there's things like that. Um, hopefully there's, not many other things like that, hopefully zero. Um, but there's a lot of things you just cannot anticipate whatsoever. That's on kind of like the, you know, who are the bad actor side. And then in terms of the trend side, I mean, I mean, yeah, PFP is totally coming by surprise. The lack of shifting narratives in 2022 coming by surprise. So I'd say that going forward in 23, I think we're going to continue to see uh, a lot more um, people in the traders are going to get more advanced. And people are, the, the, the returns will compress and it's going to get really, uh, really competitive. I would say that's kind of the, the main theme that, that I'm seeing, but also, um, we're, we're still, we're, we're seeing a lot of like continued, I, I don't want to say renewed interest because there's always interest, but renewed market activity where people are launching projects, mainly PFPs, I would say, and, and, you know, the sales, they're doing quite well, they're, they're strong sales. Um, and so. Yeah, I, I think that we like a lot of the casual users, those people have left and we're left with this core user base of like, we'll call it 250,000 traders that are extremely active. 
that was what it was, the market was in 2019 when I joined. It was 20,000 people that are extremely active. And then there's no one really else. I think we peaked out, we'll call it like in terms of active traders, probably at a million. And now we're left with this core piece of 250 to 200,000 200, uh, people. And I think that that core group, I, I, they're hooked. Like once you get involved in the NFT space, whether it be from a trading point of view, pure, purely targeting ROI, whether it be from a community standpoint, a social standpoint, a status standpoint, there's all these different reasons to stay involved in this market and it's extremely sticky. And so I don't see that diminishing too much. I think we could go dip below a little bit, 200,000 over the next year, but I think it's going to be uh, people getting really smart and really, really good, uh, you know, going forward for 2023. So, so Andrew, in terms of valuation of NFTs and in terms of mental model or heuristics that you use to select NFTs, uh, we'd love to decode uh, how, how you go about it. Okay. So there's different ways to slice and dice it. And the NFT market itself is made up of separate submarkets. So you have virtual land, you have art, you have gaming items, you have collectibles. Um, so it depends on, you know, what market you're looking at, but, uh, art is really about artist reputation and brand. you know, so if you're Banksy and you sell, you know, a cool piece of art, it's going to sell for 5 million bucks. If you're Andrew selling the exact same piece of art, it'll sell for hundred bucks. Cause you know, I'm not some cool artist. Gaming items is really all about uh, utility. So if my store does 10 damage, your store does 100 damage, your store is going to be more valuable in theory, right? Uh, the, the prerequisite of that is the game itself has to be uh, fun and, and usable and, and exciting. If the if you know your sword can do 1,000 damage, but the game's not fun, like it's not going to drive any value towards that. Uh, for collectibles, it's really uh, narrative, narrative and marketing. It's really just eyeballs. It's, it's honestly attention. And that's something that... Uh, has just become very apparent over the next over the past two years with, with the PFP trend, where these things don't trade on fundamentals. It's not like oh, you know, you can I can tell my sword's more powerful because it has better stats, therefore it's more valuable. It's it's no, it's like you know, what are you seeing on your Twitter timeline? Like what are the social mentions? Um, it's really driven by by pure pure attention, which which is not bad. I mean, that's that's fine. It's like why do Jordan sneakers, certain Jordan sneakers, trade higher than others? Others, it's because the rarity, the story around them, you know, how cool they are and, and really like kind of the, the attention. Um, and then the last sub market was, what did I say? I mentioned game items, collectibles, art, and, uh, um, oh, virtual land. So virtual land, that's, that's the one thing I've been, uh, extremely wrong about in terms of the timing. I was ex exceptionally bullish on virtual lands. I still am, but in terms of the timing, I was like, oh man, the, this is ne next generation social media networks. You know, it's more immersive social media. And a social media that you can experience with your friends and walk around and, and your profile is kind of like your piece of land that you buy and you can build anything you want, whether it be a portfolio, a mini game, uh, a gallery, whatever. And um, I thought that, you know, we were going to have a lot more adoption in terms of the virtual worlds at, at a much faster pace. But it turns out people like the user experience of Instagram, of Facebook, of TikTok, et cetera, just quick and easy, you know, su super, super fun, super casual. And going into a virtual world is kind of a chore. And so until there, there are enough, um, you know, activities essentially, or reasons for people to go in those virtual worlds, it's going to be tough to get broader adoption from, from people that are not just this core audience. It's going to be tough to have like the next Facebook be something that is, uh, are people walking around in this virtual world in, uh, through their computers. I think once we get to AR and VR mass adoption, I'm not talking about today where you have these big clunky headsets that make you dizzy. I'm talking about like super lightweight, easy glasses, then we'll see it expand in a major way. But until then it's, it's. It's, I think it's going to be pretty tough to get like, you know, 100 million users. 
But yeah, my framework there is really about location, content, and parameters. Location, where are you on the map? You know, in the middle of the map where there's most activity or, you know, on the edges where there's little, the, the content is you have a single family home or skyscraper, skyscraper is going to be, you know, more impactful. The parameters is like the zoning laws, like, like how high, how big can you build on this plot of land? Um, so those are the factors that influence the value from, from, from what I found. But, but again, you know, I, I think that we're, we're, we're going to need a little bit of time in order for, to have these virtual worlds really take off in, in the way that I think they will eventually. Andrew, no what are your thoughts on the, the Web3 social reputation layer from we've tried and tested social platforms of fungible tokens in 2017, 2018, and they didn't succeed. Now with the power of NFTs, there seems to be more of a use case for them, especially internally. We view NFTs as digital containers and you can put any piece of digital information within that. And reputation is, is a big thing that a lot of projects are going for at the same time. And in the same way, social projects, we've seen DAOs or the, the rise of DAOs, and we haven't seen any sustained DAOs as of yet outside of DeFi. What are your thoughts in, in the years ahead and, and how NFTs can be leveraged to, I guess, bring success to these two different fields? Yeah, it's a really good question that does not have a clear answer. Um, so in terms of kind of this social space, are you talking more about the uh, kind of the, the, the transparency of the social platform itself and like the, the ownership of data? Or is it more about like, how are how is, you know, how are NFTs being utilized in terms of a social kind of component there? The short answer, both. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you choose so, which one you answer first. Okay, so I think that um, what I've learned is that, um, you know, most people are not like us. Most people are um, they, they just want to, they want something simple, easy, fun, and like, don't care so much like us on this call and probably the people listening, we're, we're, we're like diehards. Like we are obsessed with this stuff. We live and breathe this stuff and a product that's really, really, really freaking cool to us, us, you know, people is not so cool to the average, average user. And so that's something that I've had to kind of zoom out, you know, and rearrange my thought processes where, uh, you know, I, I used to be, I still am in my, in my soul, in my heart, but like a hardcore decentralization maxi, like that's like where I, where I want us to go. And I, I want the world to be that way in terms of like realism, like, Oh, you know, is Facebook actually probably a net positive for the metaverse or, uh, you know, is, is Reddit adopting, uh, NFTs, even though they're kind of like in a quasi centralized fashion, like, is that, is that positive? Like, yes, like these things actually are positive. Most people are going to interact with blockchain and NFTs in, in a more, centralized fashion, probably until we get like far in the future where blockchains are exceptionally efficient and cheap, which, you know, we're, we're, we're years away from that. So, uh, I guess like, I'm kind of not answering your question directly. I do think that these spaces, uh, social reputation, et cetera, will be radically impacted by the blockchain ecosystem, but in ways that are much more surface level initially. So like, for example, uh, Steppen, Steppen's a great game where, you know, you're, it's kind of a move to earn platform where you're running around and you can earn tokens and also NFTs and the NFTs are like, like for me, NFTs are great in that, in that situation, that ecosystem, it's like great for status or sleep agachi. You know, you track your sleep and you get uh, certain, you know, kind of rewards and NFTs based off of your sleep patterns and you know, sleep skill or whatever. And uh, that's a great use case. It's like, Hey, you're, you're gamifying this thing and you're giving people digital assets that you can then build up a, you know, I don't know, kind of your, uh, your, your inventory, if you will. 
Um, that is how I think, uh, you know, we're going to be utilizing a lot of this technology in the near term versus like, hey, we're going to decentralize Facebook, we're decentralizing Twitter. That is where I want, want us to head. In terms of when we'll get there, I think it's going to take, you know, a much longer time frame than I initially thought. So, so Andrew, would it be fair to say that short run, you're not that bullish on soulbound tokens or Web3 socials like Lens and Farcaster and things like that? Short term in terms of... Time horizon. What is it? Time horizon. Like maybe one to two years. So a lot can change in one to two years. So um, I, I, I would say that like it's necessary that we are doing and building these things today. Absolutely 100% necessary. We should be doing it. In terms of mass adoption, I'm talking, you know, 10 million plus users, 100 million plus users. I don't see it happening within 2023 timeframe. Um, I can see it happening beyond that. But the issue now is that because capital went from being extremely abundant during the 2020, 20, basically the past, we'll call it 15 years, right? Uh, when interest rates were low, uh, you could you could take something that, hey, we're probably not gonna get adoption in this year, maybe not next year, but maybe year three, you know, things are gonna be, gonna be like at a spot where we can really go grow like crazy. Unfortunately, that environment has changed where money is now, money, money is now quite expensive and capital is expensive now. And so you have to, you have to be profitable as soon as possible. And so while these things need to exist, and, and I'm happy that they do, in terms of like the the longevity of them, in terms of uh, getting getting revenue and getting tons of users very in a very short period of time, I'm not exceptionally bullish. Um, doesn't mean it can't happen. Like you know, Farcaster could become the next Twitter. You know, totally. Um, it's just that like the 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 bar has been the bar of difficulty has increased dramatically, and I'm like, man, like it's going to be tough. So I'm like, okay. What can we utilize now that'll have a large enough impact, even if it is kind of silly, it, it, silly on the surface, like Sipagachi. You're sleeping and you're getting rewarded with these little NFTs. It's, it's kind of silly, but it's cool and it's fun and it's, it's an actual use case that people enjoy. Uh, but in terms of like the game changing, the, the game changer that is Farcaster, decentralized social media, it's, 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 you know, it's not there, right? Andrew, you're the third person who has said about Sleepagachi. Th third person on the podcast, yeah. Really? So Stephen McKinn. Um, Mike do this and, and yourself, like, I was going to say, I was going to say, it's gotta be, if, if you said Steven, Mike's gotta be the next, ne next name. So yeah, that's funny. The, 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 the Holy Trinity. So I guess yeah, a, yeah. a follow on up to, because I think a constant narrative that we've been seeing is we focus far too long on the back end and the back end sort of amassed enough users, which is us within crypto. Whereas the focus now has to be on the front end. What is the user experience? What is the IP being leveraged where we can abstract as much of the back end away. And, and Reddit is an excellent example of that. And you alluded to its quasi decentralized nature. But is, is that, do you feel something that's necessary to start onboarding the next 100 million users into, into Web3 and then into crypto with a distinction between Web3 and crypto where crypto is custodial? Sorry, crypto is non-custodial and Web3 is, is custodial. Yeah, you know, um, it, it's tough because, the you know, if I really think about it, I'm like, man, most most users don't care about owning their stuff, you know, which is, which is sad uh, because I, because they, they really should, they only care if something bad happens to them or someone that they know, like, Oh man, you know, my friend was banned from Twitter for life or like, I don't know, you're a banned from Uber for life. Like that would be really bad. Um, it happens on an infrequent enough basis where not enough people care. It, it, but my concern is in this day and age where like, we're so connected, if you get banned from ride, ride share apps, like that sucks. Like that is really impactful on your life and, and not fun. If you get banned from social media, like that's that's not good. But overall, like you'll be fine. Ride sharing is like much more impactful. But that's like today. The stakes are like medium high, I would say. 
in the near future, when we're spending the majority of our waking hours, I'm talking like 12 hours online inside of the metaverse, inside of virtual environments or quasi digital physical, uh, you know, environments, that's when the stakes get really high. If you get banned from a certain application platform, whatever, that's like your life. You know, it's almost like, hey, we are now canceling your ability to earn money, right? Like, like you are no longer allowed to have a job like online, like let's, let's just say that would be crazy bad. And so that's why I want people to be so into blockchain decentralization and ownership. But in terms of mass adoption, um, I, you know, I don't see I don't see the, the, the request from the users right now, um, which is, you know, concerning, but I think it will happen. And then, yeah, in terms of the front ends, the, the, you know, we switch from, Hey, let's make really cool products for, um, for, you know, crypto natives, cause that's who the population is to, uh, with NFTs, Hey, uh, NFTs are now crypto for consumer. It's, it's like broad, Hey, let's go big here. And that was a really cool change that I, sh that I saw kind of in the 2021 era, I'd say 2020, 2020, 2021 era. And, uh, it's really opening up like the types of people that are interested in crypto web three and decentralization, which is great. And in terms of that front end, uh, yeah, I want people utilizing products that are solving problems and not even know that it's that it's Web3. And people have been saying that for years, um, but that that is the ideal. Uh, like you, you want it to be not the selling point, like, oh, we use NFTs. It's like, oh, no, no, like, we, yeah, of course we use NFTs. It's what you want it to be. So, um, and, and I think we've seen like great headway there. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's again, it's going to take it's going to take more time than I thought. Uh, so, Andrew, in terms of products and in terms of projects, maybe perhaps out there in the public market or private market that you're, you're that you're excited about or your fund is excited about. Okay. Yes. As we spoke before, I have to be careful about what I say here because I don't know what's public, what's private. Uh, I have a list here uh, that I can talk about. So, Atmos. Atmos is really exciting. I think uh, Web three NFTs are. It's, Atmos is a is a game where you are uh, you have a spacesuit or you're you're acquiring ore and other minerals to build a spacesuit and then with that spacesuit you go race your spacesuit and it's kind of like you know the metaverse uh, f1 if you will you know it's super competitive like really really amazing graphics really high end um and really intricate in terms of like you know you need to rejigger this piece in order to increase your speed by x amount whatever um that to me is really exciting it's like you know metaverse native esports i think that's gonna be really exciting and i, I remember i tweeted like man i'm so excited for metaverse native esports and a lot of people got mad at me. They're like, esports has been a thing forever. I'm like, yeah, but like the the the, the stakes are going to be exceptionally high with blockchain-based assets, right? Whether it be like, you know, you're you're competing for actual money or it takes actually significant some, um, significant amounts of money to build out your team. That's going to be really exciting. And then also if you ever play for like pink slips, you know, if like, hey, if you lose this race, you lose your asset, like that'd be really cool. So I think it's just like the stakes are going to get higher with that ownership layer. So that's something I'm really excited about with Atmos. Uh, let's see another one that I can talk about. Um, oh, this is more just based on infrastructure, NFT bank, um, NFT bank. So we're a fund. We buy and trade, uh, you know, assets all the time. There is no software. There's no infrastructure for tracking your NFT trades. There's a million different portfolio trackers for crypto. For some reason, there's like, there's like five maybe that work. Okay. For NFTs. Um, NFT bank is by far the best and, and we're actually users of those in, for our fund because we have to talk to third parties like auditors and tax people and, you know, people that are, uh, their standards are like, you can't be like, yeah, you know, our portfolio is like roughly, you know, this amount. It's like, no, no, no. We need to know by the penny, like, like how much this is worth and how much you guys have earned and, and whatnot. So NFT bank is in terms of like portfolio uh, tracking infrastructure. Great. 
it does that and more, but that's really what, 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 what we're using it for mainly. And I'll just do, let's do, that's a good one. Oh, here's one more. Um, Hume. So we're exceptionally excited about, and I don't know if you've seen my tweets the past couple of days, I'm really diving deep into this, uh, VTubers and uh, virtual artists and virtual influencers. Uh, Hume is, uh, they're creating Metastars, which is a really cool name for like metaverse, you know, influencer, star, or whatever. And uh, and yeah, they're, they're just virtual influencers. They're specifically creating virtual um, artists, as in musicians that are, you know, they, they sing pop, they do like reggaeton. I think there's like a DJ. Um, so they're creating this basically, you know, Web3 native or metaverse native uh, record label. And that to me is exceptionally exciting. And just the thought process, like extrapolating that to uh, celebrities or influencers that are all, uh, you know, maybe controlled by AI or controlled by a team of people. And, you know, these people can perform, whether it be their music, whether it be their entertainment, streaming video games or wh whatever it might be, uh, nonstop, right? Like that, that to me is exceptionally exciting where you can have 24 seven entertainment created by a virtual virtual being that is intelligent, that can talk to you, that can remember you, that can make jokes and, um, you know, re really be someone that you connect with and be like, wow, I really love, uh, in their instance, it's, it's Angel Bunny, it, it, or sorry, a Angel Baby. Uh, it's like a little, uh, it's a fluff character, which is like a bunny character. And, um, you know, in the future, you know, Angel Baby will be able to stream and do all these different things nonstop. And people really fall in love with Angel Baby and, and you know, grow this, Angel Baby will grow this massive audience and we'll be able to monetize that through selling of products. I think this, this kind of pipeline of uh, content creation and or, um, and or, you know, building up an audience to, uh, well, it's like content creation first, you build an audience and then you sell a product. I think NFTs represent this incredible opportunity to sell uh, or monetize uh, goods globally. Because, you know, before, if you're selling, if you're a streamer or a YouTuber or whatnot, and you're trying to sell t-shirts, you can't sell to everyone worldwide. And so that kind of limits your audience and the ROI on those products. But if you're selling, you know, a digital good, uh, maybe be some sort of NFT that can do X, Y, Z, um, then you can suddenly monetize your global audience because they're paying with crypto. So you don't need to, you know, figure out, okay, what's the best payment method? Is it wire? Is it, you know, ACH or whatever? And then you can, uh, you know, transfer that that good or asset right to someone immediately. So that, that to me is something I'm really excited about. So can you walk us through the user journey? Let's say, uh, I think I think you wrote about this. So let's say Mr. Beast, he adopts NFT. How would that user journey look like uh, or business journey look like for him to become one of the wealthiest person in the world uh, if he leverages crypto and yeah. NFT? Yeah, so I wrote this blog, uh, you know, clickbait. I'm a big fan of clickbait. And I wrote, Mr. Beast is going to become the wealthiest man in the world, the wealthiest person in the world. And the reason being is because, you know, he has 200. So Mr. Beast is a YouTuber, really famous YouTuber. 245 million subscribers on all of his different channels. His different channels range from like Mr. Beast Reacts, where he reacts to videos, to gaming, where he just games, and uh, to, to his main channel, which he does you know, outrageous things like, hey, whoever, you know, put your hand or go into a circle that we spray paint, whoever leaves the circle last will win $100,000, right? And um, he, he's transcribed his channels into all the top languages, ex except for Mandarin. And I think it was... Um, Bengali, I believe, or something like that. I forget. But anyways, he's transcribed his, his channel into multiple different languages, has a total of 245 million subscribers across all of his channels. The Earth's, Earth's population is, is, you know, just under 8 billion, right? So it's a significant portion of people. Um, it's something like 1% uh, of, of all of, of the human population watches uh, his videos from his main channel, just from his one channel. It's like 1% of all people watch that. And so and he's 20, what, I think he's 24. 
And so, you know, extrapolate that out 10 years out, uh, he's going to have maybe 2 billion subscribers, let's just say. So it's a very significant portion of, a, of the Earth's population. He'll be able to, uh, right now he's selling t-shirts and he's selling merch and whatnot. He launched a burger brand in, in America, North America, I think Canada. They also open up a few locations where um, it's Ghost Kitchen, so it's not actually him doing it. Um, but, and he's, he also did chocolate. So he's doing these items that are physical goods, uh, high barriers to entry in terms of, um, you know, setting up these, or actually it's low barriers to entry in terms of setting up ghost kitchens, chocolate bars. Uh, I'm actually probably also low barriers to entry, but, but in terms of the, the margins on the goods, these are not like, like burgers are like extremely low margin out of all goods to sell, uh, chocolate bars, probably higher margin. Uh, in terms of, um, you know, the highest margin goods, like physical goods, it's like vitamins and like cosmetics. So, but I just don't see it doesn't fit his brand. So I think what he's going to do or what he should do is he should come up with some sort of uh, idea on as to launch certain NFT projects, whether it be a PFB, whether it be you know a loyalty program, whether it be a game and, you know, the NFTs are, uh, are used as the game items. Uh, he should use that because he has an audience that's worldwide. And if he sells, you know, just let's let's call it one dollar per NFT, and he sells that uh, to his you know billion billion plus two billion size audience. Um, does that every year? You know he can generate a couple billion dollars a year just in revenue. And does that over the course of the next twenty years? He's going to become exceptionally wealthy. And I think that that's the only way uh, going forward that he's going to be able to monetize uh, his global audience is through NFTs. And just I think broadly, I think that's true for for everyone. Where if you have a global audience, even if you don't, the, the the best way to monetize them in the highest margin goods ever created are NFTs. Um, so, so it's just like a great monetization method. I see it as like blockchain is like the infrastructure. Crypto is the money. NFTs are the monetization method and, and you know, asset type, because as you go build on top of NFTs, they can, they can be basically anything you want. So that there's that whole design space there. And, uh, and then, yeah, I think we're going to talk about AI in a little bit, but I see AI as like content generation. So all these things are like coming together in what I call the metaverse. Um, but, but yeah, I, I mean, it's super exciting time to be, you know, where we are because all these things are coming together. I feel like in our space specific, specifically. So Andrew, how do you see the convergence of crypto NFTs and AI uh, happening? How does that look like? Uh, what form it will take? Yeah, it's similar to what I just said. It's not as sexy as it sounds. It's just like AI has reduced the, 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 uh, the cost of content generation by like, I don't know, hundred X or something like that. Right. AI can create easily, instantaneously create text, can create, you know, audio, you know, can change your voice. You can do text to speech, create a new voice, uh, images, you know, can instantly generate images. Um, you can animations instantly, you know, animate stuff. You can, um, do video now, you know, create videos in, in, instantly. Like that's all happened very, very rapidly. And suddenly, you know, if you wanted to launch some sort of media company, the cost of doing so have just decreased by like, you know, I don't know, hundred X, right? So that's a huge opportunity. Content creation just became exceptionally cheap. Okay, well, uh, if that became really cheap, what's going to happen? How do you actually monetize that? And there was an issue with monetizing content in general. Like if you were, I don't know, let's say like Harry Potter, um, it's difficult to just suddenly like, sure, you could start selling t-shirts and, you know, besides the books, you know, making money there, but you could sell t-shirts and other goods. Um, but it's really hard, again, to monetize your global audience. The best way would be to, to you know, to monetize through NFTs. And so so that, that's, that's how I see it. I see it as like AI is the the content generation layer, NFTs are the monetization layer, blockchain is the infrastructure, and then to actually pay for that good, it's probably going to be done in USDC, Tether, Ethereum maybe. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's how I see it. So it, 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 when you talk about it like that, you're like, oh, okay, like it's just kind of, it's boring a little bit, but it just kind of makes sense. Um, but 
that to me is like that's I, I guess that that's one thing I, I'm really excited about, which I didn't mention uh, for 2023 is I'm personally very excited about what's going to happen with content and and NFTs and blockchain and, and you know AI and whatnot. Um, how that evolves, you know, I, I you know I have some ideas, but I don't want to like say everything. But I'm pretty excited about it because um, there's a couple companies that we've funded that I can't talk about yet that are doing stuff in that space. Um, and yeah, I feel like it's a kind of the golden age, or golden era for content content creators broadly because they have just got like suddenly their their path to monetization are just open open wide up and like wow we can we can we can do a lot here so very excited about that i mean mr beast if you're listening i think between the three of us we can we can do we can make you the wealthiest man on earth and also give back to the community as well um i guess we'll, we'll move on there to the go. the rapid fire <laughs> we'll move on to the rapid fire round um what's your most favorite x to earn app if any um, I think Steppen is awesome because there's a health component. To, I mean, with a lot of these, there's, there's a health component to it. I think that getting tokenization right is exceptionally difficult. And Meta, you, you probably know this like more, more than myself, but, um, you know, building a great product, that's hard. Building a great product that utilizes blockchain in a manner that makes sense is hard. Building a great product that utilizes blockchain in a manner that makes sense and adding a token is like, it's just like, man, that's like super hard. Um, so having that phase approach is, I think, really important. But yeah, in terms of my favorite, I, I think that I, like I have a Peloton. I'm like, man, if I could earn you know some token here, and not even, it doesn't have to be a, a, a actual like ERC type token. It could be a uh, an NFT, just like a badging or a kind of like things that I can build or like status symbols. That to me would be super cool, um, and uh, and you know it'd make me more competitive because if I go to you know Mo, if I went to your profile, I see like you've got this sick you know closet of all these different NFTs. I'm like, man, I, I need to step step in my game. So I would say you know, X to earn in like the, in like the health or wellness and, or like, you know, fitness space to me is really, really exciting. What was the last thing you Googled? Uh, it was, uh, <laughs> for some reason on this computer that I'm using now, my, um, my Google docs is set to, uh, English, English versus American English. And so I'll type in like favorite and it'll spell it like the English style. And it says like, it's in I'm like, and I, and so I'm like, why is everything British or, you know, sound like I'm from the UK? Um, so that's been, that's been, uh, that was the last thing I Googled. I was just trying to figure that out. It's super interesting because I have the same thing, but in reverse, like I was, I spelled decentralized with an S and it just <laughs> spell checks it to a Z and it's like, it's not spelled yeah. with a Z, it's spelled with, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. with, <laughs> with an S, but yeah, but tomato, tomato, um, favorite meme, favorite meme, um, favorite meme. I've been out of loop for meme formats. I feel like, I feel like short form video has kind of taken over memes because I used to spend a lot of time on Imgur or I Imager. I, I don't know how you say it, but, um, and I don't spend any time on there now. A and really it's like TikTok reels and shorts, like the short form video content to me, I just can't get enough. So, um, man, you know, I, I don't have, I don't have a favorite meme. I hate to say it. I, I'm just like a, a TikTok kind of guy now. I, I, I hear that. Um, tell me something that you think is true that almost nobody agrees with you on. Yeah, this is uh, it's the famous question. I think Peter Thiel, Peter Thiel's question, really hard, um, especially if you haven't thought about it before or not recently, which I haven't. Um, yeah, I, I, maybe this is obvious. Uh, maybe it's not. I, I think that most people, um, most likely within our lifetimes, are going to spend all their waking hours inside virtual environments, it's going to be impossible to compete with base reality uh, 
if you can have any experience you want inside virtual reality, uh, you, there's just no way. Like, I just can't, you know, if I work at, I don't know, if, if I work at a car wash, you know, I'm going to go home as soon as possible just so I can jack into my, you know, headset or, you know, whatever, glasses, what, whatever the, the device is. And I'm talking about not just the visual component, but the uh, senses, because the metaverse to me is more about the experiential internet. So experiencing the internet with your taste, touch, you know, smell, et cetera. And brain machine interfaces are, are, are already very good. They can already activate all your senses and, you know, paralyzed people can walk, blind people can see, you know, it's like see outlines, not like actually see everything, but um, so that's today. And we can already control computers with our brains today. And so in the very near future, non-invasive uh, brain machine interfaces are going to be able to activate every sort of sense that you have and you combine that with a virtual environment. Our brains are, are literally going to be tricked into thinking that we're, we're someplace that we're not. And we're literally going to be tricked into thinking that, um, you know, we're eating a steak when really, you know, maybe we're not eating anything. So um, that to me is, is something that I think is very obvious. Like we're, that, that's where we're headed. It's going to happen. It's already kind of here in a very, very uh, minimally immersive manner. Um, but yeah, like we're all going to be living inside this future. My biggest concern is like, how do we get people inside the physical world, uh, keep, keeping everything, you know, humming and running? Um, I think that there could be a huge opportunity there in terms of like uh, jobs, you know, because, hey, if you're going to spend time in the physical world, we're actually going to pay you significantly more because it's, it's so much harder and so much less, uh, less exciting. So I guess perfect segue into the final rapid fire question. Are we living in a simulation? I think it's, I think it's likely. I, I just think that, yeah, if you look at like how long the, the universe has been around, was, I, I don't know, 13, 14 billion years from what we know. And there's so many different uh, uh, galaxies out there, not even planets, but just galaxies. Like um, someone has got to get, you know, ha had been pretty intelligent at some point, maybe a billion years back, let's call it like 12 billion years ago. And they created uh, advanced simulations that we just happen to be a part of. Yeah. So from a, like a mathematical standpoint, I just see like, I just don't know how he could not be. And Sam Altman was saying something really interesting lately. He's like, if we cannot make artificial general intelligence AGI, then it is likely that we're in a simulation because it goes against um, kind of the, the laws of physics that we've observed. And it means that there's some outside force that are creating rules, uh, like a rule set that we just can't see or observe. It just like stops it. Um, that to me was like really interesting. I was like, wow, okay, I guess we're going to find out, you know, in the next 40 years here. It's, it's definitely something we'll find out, I think, in our lifetime um, to, to, to that end. And final question, what should we have asked about we didn't? I think, uh, I mean, I mean, obviously, I could talk about this topic for like days. Um, so I think that this was great. Yeah, I, I appreciate you having me on. And uh, I don't know if I don't know if Medi's still here, but it was awesome to chat with him. I, I you know, I've known him forever. But also, also great, great to meet you, Mo. Thank you for, for you know for having me. It was awesome. I'm, I'm a big supporter of, of what you're doing as well and what, what your fund is doing. So it's, it's great to meet you, um, albeit in this sort of setting, but can't wait to meet you in real life. And, and let's get to know the, the real Andrew a little bit more. Amazing. Awesome. Mo, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Excellent. Likewise. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you. This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be considered as financial advice. Any opinions provided in this podcast reflect the views of the speakers only.